0: Welcome to another Perusia podcast. I'm Charvel your host, and excited about today's guest. She is a professor at the Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit, and she joins me now. Her name is Dr. Mary Healy. Hello, Dr. Mary Healy. How are you?
1: Hello, Chevelle. I'm, I'm doing well.
0: How has 2023 been for you?
1: It's been great. Thank you. Yeah, there have been um, some wonderful conferences, and the semester at the seminary has started well. And um, yeah, such a blessing to be teaching and preaching the word of God.
0: Praise be to God. That's wonderful. You are busy and you have many talents. You help uh, so many different professors around the world and we've seen you on the on the pilgrimages. But I want to introduce you to our audience. Can you let us know a little bit about yourself, your faith journey? Are you a cradle Catholic? Give us a bit of a background about who Dr. Mary Healy is.
1: Yeah, uh, I am a cradle Catholic, um, but I like to think of myself as a a revert, a daily revert, because I have to revert to uh, radical confidence in the Lord every day and to be reconverted as his disciple every day. But um, I did grow up in a Catholic family, and um, we were what you might call Sunday Catholics. So we were used to going to church on, on a Sunday. And, you know, the faith was a part of our life for an hour a week. Not really more than that. But when I was 12 years old, my parents both went on a a retreat and they met Jesus and it radically changed them. And, Mm. um, as a 12 year old, I could see the difference in them right away. I could see that they, um, that Jesus was at the center of their lives, mm. and and he was really changing them. Amen. So that impressed me deeply, and that drew me, and I wanted a relationship with Jesus myself. And so I did pursue that through my high school and college years. Um, but although I have to say that I, I never really was taught, as far as I remember, I was never really taught how to have a, a prayer life, how to have an ongoing daily relationship with the lord and that was a real lack in my life so by the time i graduated college i i felt distant from the lord i felt like i i didn't know him Mm -hmm. i didn't have a relationship with him and i decided to go to franciscan university of steubenville to get a graduate degree there and honestly i went because I knew it was a place where Jesus was present. I knew it was a place where um, people were encountering him. Uh, My younger sister was there and I saw her life transformed. So um, I went there because I was hungry for God. And while I was there, the Lord, um, he really more than fulfilled my expectations. And I, um, I went through what's called a life in the spirit seminar which is a seven-week kind of seminar to learn about the Holy Spirit and to receive prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have a a personal Pentecost or a baptism in the Holy Spirit, to be plunged into the Spirit. And when I was prayed over, um, I actually didn't experience anything at that moment. I didn't have any emotional reaction. It was just very peaceful. But in the following weeks and months, I began to really see a change in how, how real the Lord was to me. I remember even walking outside and seeing trees and flowers and thinking, how did the colors all get so much brighter? Everything looks brighter, more alive. And the Lord was just so real and so present. And I began to experience healing of various wounds in my heart. And, um, and I remember this one time after that I had, I had received prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We went down, uh, I went to Florida from Steubenville for spring break. And as you may be aware, um, thousands and thousands of American college students go to Florida for spring break, um, basically to party. but we went to evangelize. (laughs) We went out on the beach and we, we talked to people about Jesus and it was not an easy thing to do, but it was, it was a very blessed experience. But um, on one of the nights we were there, we were in a, a church and the music ministry was singing a song that, that just the refrain went, he is alive. He is alive. He is alive. He is alive. And as we were singing that this, truth impacted me at such a gut level hmm. he is alive he is alive and that changes wow. everything yes. yeah. somehow i just i i knew in a way that nothing could ever take away jesus is alive it's beautiful and he's there and he he loves me and i'm in him and he's in me and i can count on him so that was um That was one experience of a whole series of experiences that happened after I received that prayer for um, baptism in the Holy Spirit that that really changed me. And and where I, I could see there was an energy and a power within me that was beyond myself, that was beyond what I was capable of. So, um... I began to um, experience gradually freedom from sins, patterns that had plagued me for a long time. And it didn't come without a battle, didn't come without uh, a lot of um, prayer, a lot of falling down, getting back up again and pursuing the Lord. But I did begin to see his power at work in me. And it's been the case ever since then. Basically, I got out of the driver's seat of my life and Jesus got into the driver's seat.
0: Praise <laughs> God.
1: And, and I'm, alone for, I'm alone for the ride from then on.
0: That's amazing. Um, wow. The Holy Spirit absolutely has worked in your life. How did that impact your life uh, moving forward? And in, in you just started at Steubenville. So did you sort of like plug yourself into everything um, that was available there because I know Sumerville is a place that's alive. It is on fire for the for the Lord. And um, how how did you sort of plug into the life there? What were you getting involved with? Everything that was on offer, and were you, what were you doing?
1: Yeah, it was in that it was in that first semester. I, I dove right in. Yeah, I was hungry. <laughs> I went to everything. <laughs> I soaked up everything I could. I, there was one time where I was, I was I was with a group praying the rosary every night, I was going to the Eucharistic Adoration Chapel every night, I was going to daily Mass every day, I was doing praise and worship, what they call festivals of praise. I was like, where is it? I'm there. <laughs> I want more.
0: That is awesome. Thank you for sharing. I can imagine it would have been an exciting time. Now what were you studying at, at uh, Studentville at the time?
1: I was uh, studying theo- theology. Um, their master's in theological studies. Um, they only had two master's programs at the time. Uh, the other one was education. And I knew I didn't want to do education. So I chose theology by default. So um, the Lord had a plan. you know. I didn't choose, choose theology because I thought theology was really interesting and I want to pursue it as my career for the rest of my life. No, it was really a default choice. But the Lord
0: used it. It's amazing, you know, uh, Dr. Healy, that uh, so many stories come out of uh, Franciscan University in Steubenville. Can you give us an insight? I mean, what is the secret uh, recipe there? Uh, so many students are alive uh, for their faith. Um, I understand that it was going to close down at one stage, but then there was a revival. And you know, thanks to uh, hearers of mine, I mean, people like Dr. Scott Hahn, who promote um, the, the university widely. And mm-hmm. if it wasn't for his work, yeah. I would not have even yeah. known about this university, but there's a, a series, a number of, um, of professors um, out there, and it's really become a real beacon um, for the world, uh, for the Catholic world. And tell us, what is the secret? What, what is life like there? What, how, did it change? how did it become like this? Because it is yeah. uh, like yeah. a real model for us today. Can you give us a bit of a background about how the university um, got to be where it is now?
1: Absolutely. I, I love that question because I love the story yes. of how it got to be that way. It really began with Father Michael Scanlon, uh, who came on as president in, I think it was 1974. And when he was brought on as president, his job was to close down the school because it was going bankrupt and it was a known party school. In fact, Playboy magazine listed it as one of the top 10 party schools in the United States. Mm. So moral life was (laughs) in pieces. Uh, the academic life was mediocre and it was going bankrupt, but, um, he became president and his passion and his, um, his modus operandi from the beginning was Jesus is going to be the Lord of this university. Jesus is going to be the Lord of everything we do. And he he didn't only say that as a nice thing to say, he staked his life on it. And so right off the bat, he made clear to everybody that the entire campus was going to be under the Lordship of Jesus. He would uh, pray every day, um, sometimes for hours, until he got his marching orders from the Lord. And his secretary would sometimes have important people who had an appointment with him waiting for him. And he would not leave his time of prayer until he got his marching orders from the Lord. People told him that he needed to um, have the Sunday Mass at somewhat later times because so many of the students would be hungover. They wouldn't come to an earlier Mass. He said, um, no, we're going to have the Mass wow. earlier and it's going to be a longer Mass and there's going to be praise and worship. And then he would preach you know, for more than half an hour often. By the time I got there in uh, 1986, the campus was on fire. I think it was more than 90% of the students were going to the Sunday Mass, and a huge percentage, maybe in the 80s, were going to the daily Mass as well. Um, he, He mandated that all the students form small groups for faith sharing, which were called households, to um, really support each other and in the Christian life and growing in holiness um, and pray together on a weekly basis. Um, It took a while for the faculty to, um, for him to develop a faculty that was fully on board. Took many years actually for him to get, a faculty was really pulling with him, but he he did eventually. And um, the most important thing was he gave the Holy Spirit free reign on that campus, and and he um, he he lived himself and called the entire community to live under the lordship of Jesus, and that was really evident when I was there. Now it's still the case today with uh, Father Dave Pavanka, who's the current president, who's a wonderful spirit-filled, godly man. Um, but there was something unique about. Uh, those early years with Father Michael Skin, there was a a unique anointing. There was something you could sense the moment you walked on campus. It was like walking into a charged atmosphere. The the presence of the Lord was so tangible. And, And just, you know, looking around at Mass, you would see all these young people lost in worship. Just lost in worship, just you know, completely oblivious to this earth, pouring out their hearts in love to the Lord. And um, yeah, that was, it was, it was truly a, a great blessing in my life to have studied theology there.
0: Well, wow, thank you for that um, background about uh, Franciscan University. Um, Father Scanlon, um, amazing man, and, and what a legacy he's left behind. Um, now, he, he passed away, right? W- when did he pass away?
1: Yes, yes, several years ago.
0: So you were there um, very early on, was? Yes. And I understand Dr. Scott Hahn wasn't a professor there at the time uh, when you were a student there.
1: That's correct. He was not there. Yes, I, I missed some of the great luminaries who came later.
0: So, as we know, in addition to Scott Hahn, um, his students that have gone on to do great mm-hmm. things—you know, Dr. Uh, Tim Gray and, and Dr. Edward Shree, and, and many others—and and now we're hearing, you know, his colleagues and who are getting out there we're hearing uh, dr. John Bergs are doing great work and, and all these other great professors doing wonderful work um, yourself have you come back to teach at uh, uh, Franciscan University
1: no I haven't I haven't taught any courses there because I'm full-time here in Detroit but I, I do speak at their summer conferences often and it's always a blessing to be back on campus every time you go there's a new building there's more going on
0: I can imagine how active uh, the university was amazing um, Tell us, just, just to continue, when you were going out uh, evangelizing um, and just walking up to people, were you giving them like flyers, pamphlets, booklets? What what were you doing?
1: I don't think we had any tracts or um, pamphlets or anything to hand people. Um, in hindsight, that would have been a good thing. Um, but uh, we would just go up and initiate conversations with people. And if, if some weren't interested, no, that's fine you know, just move on to another person. But some were interested. And the one encounter I remember particularly is, um, it was at night and we were at a bus stop and there's a guy sitting there on a bench in, waiting for, you know, outdoors waiting for the bus. And we began talking to him and within a few minutes of conversation, he told us that that day he had gotten out of prison and we began talking to him about the Lord and how the Lord wanted to be in his life. And he was getting teary by the end of the conversation. I mean, he was, he was clearly being moved. Wow. And uh, we encouraged him to find a church and to, um, to to develop his relationship with the Lord. Unfortunately, since we were from out of town, we didn't have a way to connect him with local resources. But but the Lord, you know, had planned that encounter, just that one Little encounter with somebody who needed to hear the good news, and it was it was just a privilege to be there to be able to speak the good news to somebody who really needed it.
0: Yeah, just amazing. Um, thank you for sharing. I, I'm, I'm wondering if it ever got easier to approach strangers. Like, uh, it's daunting, you know, to to just turn up to someone or turn up and, and go up to them and uh, and turn them about Jesus. Like, how do you do that? I, I, I use you know the were you scared at the time? Were you embarrassed? Were you, maybe not that, but maybe shy? Or was, was it difficult? And is it still difficult? Like, does it get easier over time to just approach strangers and evangelize like that?
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it still is. <laughs> yeah, it still is. And and since then I've heard you know, so many good tips and advice from people who are very good at evangelizing. And I you know, now I I would have a better idea of some good ways to approach people. Um, Like, you know, very simply, you can say, we're here to pray for anybody who would like prayer. Is there anything that you would like us to pray for? And that's pretty non-threatening, right? It's pretty innocuous. Um, So that's what I have learned to use in more recent years. And um, I certainly see a lot more Fruit, probably for various reasons. But just as an example, um, uh, last summer I went with a young seminarian to Walmart, which is a you know, big box store in the US. Um, we went uh, with the one and only purpose of evangelizing, praying with anybody who needed prayer. And we spent a little over an hour in Walmart. And in that short period of time, We prayed with a woman who was in a wheelchair from multiple sclerosis. We prayed with a woman whose husband had committed suicide. We prayed with another woman whose dad was actively dying in her home, like within the next couple of days. Uh, We we prayed with a young man who had just come into the Catholic Church and was thrilled to meet Catholics in Walmart. (laughs) We prayed with um, a woman who had left the church but had come back when she had a baby as a single woman and uh so she had come back to the church but she too was so thrilled to meet catholics in walmart and she had really bad back pain we prayed over her back and her pain completely left um and there were several more encounters just in this roughly one hour trip to walmart it was just incredible to see how the lord works and how he 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 prepares the ground he sends us to sow the seed but he's already prepared the ground before him
0: just amazing um, I love hearing stories about that going up to people out in in, in public and 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 hearing that it's well received can you, so just trying to um, stay on this story here. how did you then get involved in learning about theology and biblical theology and um, and get to where you are today uh, how did this happen what happened next
1: well um, I was involved here and there, but not heavily involved in evangelization. But um, something else that happened when, while I was there was I took a summer course on the Gospel of Mark with a priest named Father Francis Martin, who was a well-known New Testament scholar. And that course was amazing. And I fell in love with Scripture during that course. I was just bowled over by the depth and the richness and the interconnections and how real, um, scripture is and how it applies to our life. And he was well known for teaching in that way. But, um, after that course, I began to develop a desire to study the word of God more deeply and to possibly teach it. So that desire began to grow in me gradually. And, um, My my the plan that I eventually developed was that I was going to go to Rome and study biblical theology there and then join a missionary religious order. That was that was the plan that I kind of worked out and I had had certain pieces of it all in place. Um, And then at a certain point, the Lord pulled the rug out from under my feet. And within a matter of days, my plans completely collapsed. They just completely dissolved to smithereens. Everything fell through. The housing, the place where I was going to study, everything fell through. And I was so perplexed by that because it had seemed so clear to me. This is this is the way I'm supposed to go. And I spoke to this priest about it. I said, you know, I I, I thought... This is how God was leading me. I don't know why everything has fallen apart. And he said, well, how did you know that the Lord was calling you to to do this? And I said, well, he opened all the doors. All the doors were opening. And he said, so you mean open door discernment? Just because a door opens, you should walk through it. And I was like, oh, (laughs) I didn't know there was anything wrong with that. (laughs) And he really challenged me um, about how deeply rooted the gospel was in me. And was I really hearing from the Lord? Had had I become rooted and grounded enough in the Lord to really know and pursue His will? So um, it was a profoundly challenging time, and the upshot was that I did something that Father Michael Scanlon had actually done, and he writes about it in his autobiography. I went into the room where I was staying, and I said, Lord. I am not going to leave this room until you do something because I just, I don't understand what your plan is or where you're calling me. And I was beginning to have an inkling that maybe I should stay in this charismatic Catholic lay community in Maryland and study at Catholic university of America. But I didn't really want to, didn't fit my plans. So I was kind of I was I was drawn to that I felt a tug toward that and yet I I didn't want to do that, so all this is going through my head is I'm I'm in this room I had the door closed It's determined I am not going to leave until I hear from the Lord, I I wanted to kind of hold him over a barrel, and uh, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and finally after about six hours of praying. I, I started to think maybe there's a way I haven't really trusted the Lord with my life. Maybe there's a way that the bottom line is what makes sense to me. What fits my reason, my intellect, my my plan. And maybe there's a lack of trust in the Lord there. And maybe I need to repent for that. So I'm gradually coming to this realization that, there's a deep lack of trust. There's a self reliance there. And I had to let go of it. And so I, I said, okay, Lord, um, I, I give it up. I, I give it all to you. Uh, I don't particularly like this, like the spirituality here, but my spirituality, it's your affair. I I don't particularly like these plans, this idea, but my future, it's your affair. So I, I, I was surrendering all these things to the Lord, and it really felt like jumping off a cliff. It felt like a really scary letting go. But I did, and I, I repented for my lack of trust and my self-reliance. And as I finished that prayer, repenting and handing everything over to the Lord, this incredible peace came over me. And it was a real turning point in my life. It was like a deeper level of surrender than I had ever done before. And my my life was more radically Jesus's from that point on. And from there, he did lead me to um, to to go and become a part of this community um, in Maryland near Washington D.C. And I did study at Catholic University. And my time at the community was deeply transformative. Um, the Lord, um, he, he, you know, he just addressed just deep areas that I didn't even know uh, needed to be addressed in my life. Uh, just to give an example, I, I lived in at that time in a house with um, five or six other young women, all trying to grow in holiness together, all trying to be really good, solid Catholics filled with the Spirit together. And my image of myself when I joined them was, um, I am... Easy to get along with. I am friendly and kind, helpful. I'm uh, smart. I'm um, good Catholic, uh, and very humble. That was my that was my picture of myself. <laughs> and through some difficult relationships, I began to realize there were there were areas of pride and judgmentalism and jealousy and all kinds of things in my heart that didn't belong there. And as I would see these things, my, my initial response was I got really discouraged. Um, well, actually the first response was, okay, I see, I, I you know, I see these weaknesses. I'm going to do better now. I'm going to really love this person that I have a hard time with. I'm going to do better at loving her. But then another conflict would erupt and I would blow it. And that's when I got discouraged. And I, I, I really got to the point of thinking maybe this holiness thing, is just, it's too much for me. I can't do it. I I just keep failing. And there was one particular day when I, I really felt low and I, I shared this with another sister in the house and she just very simply, she said, Mary, I think God has you exactly where He wants you to be right now, meaning in your weakness, in your poverty, and somehow that that word just struck me to the heart. It it it, it just cut right through, and I just had this powerful revelation: the Lord is not surprised by any of my failures, any of my weaknesses, my poverty it is not a problem for him he knew it all along and he loves me unconditionally right in the midst of my total unlovableness at least you know as far as i was seeing my you know my failures my weaknesses my sins um, it, it's not a surprise to him it's not a problem to him and he loves me and and that was really life changing that was another life transforming moment in my life and um, my spiritual life really turned upside down from being about me striving, white-knuckle Christianity, to the Lord is at work in me, and I'm surrendering to him. I'm going along for the ride. It's his work, his power. And it is so freeing when the Lord brings you to that realization. It's so you know, it, it just frees you from the, the self-condemnation and the um, self-recrimination, the, stri- the you know, self-striving, all of that. And instead, you can just enjoy being a child of God. Letting him do the heavy lifting.
0: Just amazing how God has worked uh, through you, uh, Dr. Healy. Um, praise be to God. So just, to, just continuing the story then. So, so can you just tell us, did you... Then go from
1: uh-huh. did you
0: join this community what, what this community joined um, tell us what happened then then you went from there to teach uh, theology or anything in between have we missed anything here? I just want to sort of get through uh chronologically what happened in your life what happened next? Um, yeah, tell us a bit more about the next part to leading up to how you then became a professor uh, of uh, biblical theology
1: yeah, okay um. Before I got to that community, I did spend a year teaching at a Catholic high school. Um, Then when I got to the community, I spent some time teaching in their elementary school, Um, spent some time just working for a local business. Um, I, I had actually for several years, I was absolutely determined to only work part time. I had such a hunger to know the Lord and be more grounded in him. I spent the mornings just praying, just studying scripture, just getting to know the Lord. That was a season the Lord had me in. Um, Then I, I served at a parish as a director of religious education. So um, during all that time, I was in the community, which wasn't only women. It was men and women, mostly married couples, families, there were priests. Um, So a whole gamut of people. It was just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And, um, we, we had a a rough period as a community after I had been there for six years. And, um, essentially after we went through that rough period, the Lord led me to go to Europe, um, first Austria and then Rome and finish my doctorate. So what I had planned years earlier finally did come about. So I, I did get my doctorate in biblical theology in Rome and, um, then I came back and I served for eight years as um, coordinator of the community. So I served in leadership in the community, and um, and that too was uh, it had its challenges and difficulties, but it was a very very blessed time. Then, when my term of leadership was coming to an end, um, someone invited me to apply to teach at the seminary in Detroit, and that's when I um, I knew the Lord was calling me to to move to Michigan and to teach at the seminary here. and So I've been here at the seminary for almost 15 years. Hard to believe.
0: Truly amazing, uh, Dr. Healy, that you got here. It's, it's great to know that you're, you're teaching uh, seminarians, and, and what a blessing it is to have teachers like you. I, mean, I myself was in the seminary about 20 years ago, and uh, I do remember, I have to say, um, the professor at the time, and, and many of the professors we're saying things, uh, and I remember at the time, yeah, our seminarians were, were putting a hand up questioning, but they would say things like you know, um, a lot of the, the Bible stories were a myth, um, the miracles didn't happen, uh, Jesus didn't really walk on water, he didn't really feed the 5,000, he didn't know who was God. There's all these sort of yeah. things that yeah. were happening. And I guess um, looking back and, and, and seeing there's a whole school of thought yeah. where professors are focusing on the human side of Jesus, and sort of explaining away the yeah. uh, the yeah. uh, supernatural, um, but hearing yourself and hearing Scott Hahn and all these others, and yeah. there seems to be a, a, a revival. And seeing the priests and the ordinations over the last uh, ten years has been very encouraging yeah. Yeah. to see these priests coming through, and, and these professors and these students are um, are coming through with faith in the supernatural. And, right. and can you tell me, has this sort of is there a, a change a shift? Uh, have you noticed the movement in the in the scholarly world um, among you scholars? Like, are, are there now faith-based scholars? Are you noticing more of them? Because, uh, looking at what I experienced twenty years ago, there, there was definitely many that didn't have faith when they were teaching. Um, has it changed much?
1: Yes, by all means, there has been a shift. Um, there has absolutely been a change, especially in the English-speaking world. Um, not necessarily as much in other language groups like in German or French, um, but faith is much more a recognized and acceptable dimension of biblical studies than it used to be. Don't get me wrong, because there's still many, many areas of biblical studies, especially in secular universities, where faith is not welcome. But um, at least in the Catholic world and some parts of the ev- evangelical world, um, faith is welcomed into biblical studies, and there's a greater recognition that if these are documents that convey God's revelation of himself in written form, then it's actually impossible to understand them rightly without faith. So you can study them from a you know purely secular perspective as um like you would study any other ancient documents but you're going to miss their very purpose and the very reason that they've been handed down for 2000 years so um there's there's a much more accepting attitude of robust faith than there was say 20 years ago or 30 years ago but it's still true that um as this priest father francis martin used to say you have to eat the cherries and spit out the pits there's a lot of pits out there and um and I know I know students who really were led astray and really did come out of their studies confused or even with their faith weakened which is a tragedy and I'm so grateful that it was really because of the grace of baptism in the holy spirit which gives an experiential knowledge of the reality of Jesus, the reality of the Father's love, the reality of forgiveness. It was, it was because of that that I was able to keep on an even keel. You know, it wasn't because I was smarter than anybody else. It was because I knew the Holy Spirit at work. I, I knew the reality of Jesus, who is alive and risen from the dead. And so, you know, I wasn't as easily um, drawn off course by some of those currents in biblical studies the way the way some of the other students were.
0: It's so encouraging to hear uh, these professors um, you know, having having a strong faith because I know they used to focus on the uh, historical critical method only and not the other side and the spiritual sense of scripture and, and give us some of those nuggets you know, that, that we've come to learn from Scott Hahn, yourself and other professors. Um, but what a blessing to have you teaching at the seminary there. Um, to tell me, uh, have you seen, I mean, being there for, for a while, the graduates seeing, seeing their seminarians study for seven years and then become graduates, becoming priests, yeah, yeah. Uh, that must be such a, a joy to see and what a privilege and an honor to, to, yeah. to see that and be a part of that. Tell us a bit about that. Oh,
1: yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really a joy to see them flourishing in their ministry. I don't see all the graduates, of course, um, but I do know some of them very well. I'm, good friends with some of them, and um, others I see, occasionally others from out of state. And um, I remember in particular a trip that was about a year ago. Um, within a couple of weeks, I saw two of our gra- our recent graduates, one who was working in Texas, um, a Hispanic priest who was working in bilingual ministry, very spirit-filled, charismatic, um, powerful, Ministry. I mean, they were seeing healings, miracles, conversions, uh, wonderful things happening, and he was getting pulled on by so many people. And I I just saw him growing in his um, in his authority, in his uh, pastoral uh, wisdom, in his care for his people. It was just beautiful to see him. Then this other priest um, that I saw right around the same time was in North Dakota in a, you know, very traditional area with rural people who had, you know, basically held on to the same faith and customs for so many generations, and, um, you know, beautiful, you know, traditional expression of Catholicism, and he too was flourishing in his ministry, and it was so evident that his people really loved him, and um, his, his priesthood was really bearing fruit. So, It's um, wonderful to see that. It's wonderful to see priests who love the word of God, who, um, who know that one of their primary obligations as priests is to preach in a way that reaches hearts and that touches hearts with the power of the word of God. And it's not primarily about, you know, rhetorical skill or, you know, being gifted at speaking. It's about loving the word yourself and assiduously studying the word yourself and being changed by it and obeying the word of God. And when a priest is living that way, you know, in love with scripture, then there's a power when he preaches it. Regardless of whatever his level of rhetorical skill, there's a power and his people are growing his people are being strengthened and encouraged, and they're growing in holiness. and I see that in a number of our graduates, the ones I see you know pretty regularly, and it's it's beautiful.
0: truly amazing, uh, Dr. healer, you've been a part of that and the formation of these priests and it is encouraging to see so many priests uh, on fire for the Lord um, and more and more are coming more and more Thank these new know. ordinations, praise be to God. so as as we see the sort of the church. Um, I guess fractured, uh, divided, but, but what's one good outcome here is that we're seeing that these young priests are definitely um, in love with the church. Um, just about yourself now, uh, you've written quite a few books. Uh, so do you know, the top of your head, sorry to put you on the spot, but how many books you have written? Um, yeah, how, what what number would that be?
1: I, I actually don't know because... Um, there's a whole variety. There are books I've written by myself. There are ones I've co-authored. There are ones that I've written just a chapter of. Um, there are ones that I've edited or co-edited. Um, roughly 10 or 12, I'd say. But if you count all the ones in which I have a chapter, it's probably 20.
0: Okay, so like you that. co-authored some books. What would be the first book? Do you remember your first book that you... you uh, the read? first
1: one was Men and Women Are from Eden, yes, a study guide to John Paul II's Theology of the Body and um, came out in 2005. It still sells really well because um, people are hungry for the theology of the body. It gives such a beautiful vision to you know, what's the meaning of sex and marriage. It, it's, not, it's not a sex ed program. <laughs> As you probably know, it's not, that's not what it is. You know, it's the um, biblical and theological vision of God's plan for human love. For marriage, for sexuality, for male and female, and um, I have, I know so many people who, you know, got a hold of either my book or another similar book, and they were just they they were just in amazement. And I've heard people say so often, "How come nobody told me this before? How come nobody told me this before I got married?" <laughs> or sometimes, you know, it, this has changed my life now that I've gotten to know the theology of the body. So um so it was it was really fun to to study and get to know it and to write about it and um I used to speak on that topic all the time. I don't speak on that topic just cuz the Lord has led me into other areas now. But um, I can
0: imagine yeah, theology body uh, can be misunderstood out there but it is such an important teaching. Um so so then uh a bit about yourself. You give lots of talks and I've seen you at different conferences. What would you focus on with your talks? I mean, you focus on Scripture. Uh, there is an aspect of the Holy Spirit, um, healing, and theology. But can you tell us a bit about, yeah, what, what do you talk about when you give those talks in parishes or in conferences?
1: Um, well, in in talks, I, I focus on healing. That's a huge area the Lord has led me into. Um, evangelization. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Scripture, especially the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles, um, and the Holy Spirit.
0: And then, uh, you know, in my
1: spare time, I'm, I'm writing a commentary on the book of Genesis, which I'm really enjoying. It's taken a while. Oh, wow. When,
0: when do you hope to finish uh, that book? Uh,
1: it'll be another two years before I finish that, and then another two years before it's published
0: Thank you so much for all this, uh, Dr. Healy. I would love to have you back on, Would you know down the track, maybe cover a topic or two, um, maybe have you part of the Parousia Academy, but would love to work with you again and, and get you on hopefully later this year, if you, if you don't mind.
1: Sure. Well, um, I'm happy to get acquainted with you and your audience. And um, I love your name, Parousia, or the Greek pronunciation is Parousia. Um, you are awaiting the coming of the King. Praise God. We are all in joyful, eager expectation of the coming of the King. Yes. And I pray that everyone who's listening will experience the coming of the King into their life today, now, not just at the end of history when He comes in glory because He wants to come now and He wants to change your life. And I, I... Pray and just ask the Lord that as I have experienced that, that every one of your listeners would experience that. Jesus coming and changing them.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, um, Dr. Healy. Um, if people well. want to get in touch with you, can you let us know? Is there a website that they could visit or go to to reach out to you or learn more yeah. about you?
1: drmaryhealy.com And you find yeah, some of my talks and books there.
0: Awesome. That's that's great. Thank you. I hope people can contact you at that website. So drmaryhealy.com. We'll put the uh, website in the description below. I want to thank you for joining us today, Dr. Healy. Um, really appreciate great. your time.
1: Thank you so much, Sharbel.
0: Well, thank you, everyone. Um, that's another Perusia podcast. I hope you do support what she's doing. Dr. Mary Healy is a great advocate for the church, doing wonderful work in the seminary there in the States, writing books, get to know her resources. We're going to get her back on one day very soon. Please pray for that. Love to get out to Australia as well and doing an academy course one day. Please pray for that. This is another podcast. I hope you were inspired today. Until next time, God bless.